Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Nathan Harris. For those of you who don't know me, I am the uh, lead pastor here at Celebration Center. I'm excited to be with you guys today. And whether you're a regular or you're a guest with us today, thank you for making time to be with us, to come and to join us, to worship with us, to hear God's word and, and to be challenged and, and to grow. And, and I think this morning is going to be another one of those kind of messages for us where we're going to be challenged to, to do life a little bit different. You know, there was a time when uh, my father-in-law needed some help with an outside uh, electrical outlet. It was for his hot tub. It was it was tripping weird and it wasn't doing what it was supposed to, having issues with it. So he went down to the local hardware store, got a new receptacle and um, he I went over to his house and neither of us, you got to understand, are electricians or uh, really super great handy fix-it kind of guys or anything like that. And so my father-in-law was a little bit nervous about this whole process. And, you know, we got the, the breaker shut off to the outlet. So there's no danger of getting electrocuted or anything. But uh, as, as we launched into the project, my, my father-in-law was worried about getting it hooked up correctly. And I, uh, as I was there with him, I remembered putting puzzles together as a kid and, and have, having a picture in front of me. Uh, of what the the puzzle was supposed to look like. So whether it was, you know, 250 piece or a thousand piece puzzle or whatever it was, looking at the picture to know where to go, what to do, what it is that I'm actually supposed to be putting together. So I had this idea, hey, why don't we take a picture? We've got cell phones. Let's let's take a picture of this receptacle as we pull it out of the wall and, and see how it's hooked up. And then we can match up what we do with the new one to what the old one uh, the way the old one was hooked up. And, and he was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So we did that and we got it all hooked back up. We flipped the breaker back on and everything worked. It was amazing. It was awesome. Uh, a real win for us. Not so handy fix it guys. And, and on top of that, nobody got electrocuted. So there was a double win there. It was, it was really good. We, we accomplished our goal and nobody died. It was, it was wonderful. Well, have you ever heard the adage more is caught than taught? Uh, anyone who is a parent or involved in teaching kids or really anybody, if you're involved in teaching anybody, uh, you understand the implications of this saying. Kids are like sponges. They pick up the attitudes, actions, and habits of their parents and the other important people in their lives. In other words, they start looking like those individuals who are training them, who are guiding them and teaching them because those people have become the picture of what it means to live life, to interact with others, to go through trials and tribulations and joys and all kinds of things. So they learn how to react based on the picture in front of them of, of how we are living life in front of them. And, and I got to be honest, for me, that, that thought is a bit sobering and scary because what kind of picture am I giving to my kids? I mean, th this is a little bit of a different issue, but I, I have to admit, I think about this, you know, uh, what, what picture am I projecting? Well, in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul presents the Philippians with a picture. It's a paradigm of what life as a child of God looks like. And then from there, he's going to move on to give the Philippians some application of the way of, uh, of being, of living, specific to their situation of where they're at and the troubles that they're facing and all of that. So we are in part five. This is part five of our series, Philippians, going through the, the short uh, letter or book of Philippians in the New Testament. 
If you've missed any of the previous messages in the series, I encourage you go to our website, ccpuallup.com. You can uh, scroll to the bottom of the page, click on either the sermon podcast link or the YouTube link, and you can get caught up because those other things are building up to where we're at this morning. And it would be really important for you to get caught up and to understand where we've been so that you know where we're at right now. But this morning, we're going to focus on Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. It, it's it's a lengthier passage, uh, and there's a lot in this passage. We are This is probably one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible. There's a lot in there about uh, the deity of Jesus, that is, him being God, and, and there's been a lot of argument over this passage. There's been a lot of theorizing about what it means for Jesus to be God and all of that, and we do see that in this passage. But I, we're going to look at it from, a, from the angle of its place within the overall structure of Philippians. Because though Paul is giving us some really important theology about Jesus and about God, he's, he's doing it in an argument basis. And in, in, that is, he's directing us into a particular way of thinking and living. So there's a purpose behind what he's doing. It's not just so we can know more. It's so that we can have a fuller life so that we can actually live, as we talked about last week, in a, or a couple weeks ago, I guess now, in a manner worthy of the gospel. All right, so here we go. We're going to pick it up in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. I'm going to read out of the NIV so you can open up your Bible or your Bible app and join us there. Philippians chapter 2, picking up in verse 5. It says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. As I said, this is one of the most famous passages in all of the New Testament. 
In it, we see a grand picture of Jesus and his deity, which means that Jesus is God. But sometimes I think we're so fixed on the fact that Jesus is God, as important that, as that is, and as much as Paul is in fact saying that in this passage, sometimes we're so fixed on that that we actually miss the point of what Paul is saying in this passage about God. Who this God is. And the picture we have of this God through Jesus, the Messiah. It's this picture we're focusing on this morning, along with the corresponding application for us moving forward. Like the Philippians, as people who have been graced with life through Jesus so that we can colonize earth. Remember, that's what Paul is who Paul is talking to. He's talking to people who are an outpost of heaven, charged with bringing the life of heaven every to every place that they go in every situation that they find themselves, which is the same mission that you and I are on as Christ followers. That's what it means to be a Christ follower or part of it. It means that we are bringing the very life of God into our families, into our workplaces, into the places we play and, and the places that we, where we have sorrow and mourn and, and joy and, and everything in between. So here's the first thing I think we need to see this morning. Number one, have the attitude of Jesus, the Messiah. Have the attitude of Jesus, the Messiah. You see, in Jesus, we see the God who gives himself away rather than grasping at fame or power or anything else for himself. This is the attitude, the mindset that we're told to have. This giving away mindset, specifically giving of self away. I want to back up to, to Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. It says this, In your relationships with one another. A good way to translate this phrase is to say, In your life together. As you're living life together. Which requires that the Philippians all individually be invested in this so that the, the quality is evident within their community. Okay? So he's calling individuals to a particular mindset so that this mindset can be evident within the group. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset or the same attitude. This is in reference to what Paul talked about in Philippians 2, verses 2 through 4, where he tells them to be of the same mind. Not grasping for themselves, but serving each other in humility. Have this same mindset, he says, as Christ Jesus. In other words, Christ is the picture. He is the picture in practice of what they're to be like. Who being in very nature God. In other words, Paul says he is God. All right, that's his existence. That's who he is. He is God. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he didn't use his godness as an excuse to serve and elevate himself. 
It's not like he comes home from this hard day of work and says, hey, I'm the one in charge. You all serve me. You all do what's good for me. You all make me feel good. No, he, he flipped that around. He said, I am all about serving you. I'm a, all about giving love away. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. The, the, the Greek word there is about him emptying himself. Not that he stepped out of being God, but rather he humbled himself by taking the very nature of a servant. He chose to become a slave. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Notice there is self-humiliation going on in levels here. He, he, he humiliates himself, then he, he humiliates himself even more, all right? Not, not in this bad, nasty way where like he doesn't have any self-esteem or something, but that he's choosing to step down for the sake of others. The pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity chose to humble himself out of self-sacrificing love directed toward his creation. Let that sink in for a minute. This is a pretty awesome picture of who God is, you guys. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. That is, he submitted himself out of love to death, even death on a cross. You guys, the cross was one of the most abhorrent instruments of death that, that the Romans could have possibly devised. It was, it was designed to put people on display in a very bad way for shame to come to them. And it was reserved for brigands and rebels, for people who were enemies of the state, where Rome was trying to squash them. All right? Jesus, for the sake of love, embraced the horror and the shame of the cross and entrusted himself to God who raises the dead all for the sake of love. That's what that's the picture of Jesus that we have here. And then Paul changes things up a little bit, beginning in verse 9. He says, "Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth." And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That, that title, Jesus Christ is Lord, is set in direct opposition to a, another title that was running around or that was known in, at, at that point, especially in Philippi. Philippi was, was like we said, it was a, a Roman colony. And as a Roman colony, they worshiped the emperor. And one of the things that they had to say was, Caesar is Lord. But here Paul says, because of all that Jesus has done, God has elevated Jesus. Because Jesus self-humiliated, God elevated Jesus and gave him the name that is above all names. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And the idea here is that Caesar is not. So Jesus is above earthly rulers. He's above all rulers. But his glory comes through the cross. We need to understand that. He doesn't elevate himself. He humiliates himself. God then elevates him. 
and brings glory through the suffering, through the cross. You guys, the picture is clear. The mindset the community of Jesus in Philippi is to embrace and live out is the very picture of the God who humbles himself to serve those who don't deserve it. The mindset this community is to take on is that of humiliating themselves out of chosen obedience to God and his will so that they can direct the love they've received to each other and to the wider community around them. Right where they are at in their present as they wait patiently for the glory that will be theirs later on. Talk about a challenge. How do we live life? How do we live as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel? This is it. This is the picture of the puzzle that we're following. This is, this is how we're supposed to put things back together by self-humiliation and entrusting ourselves to God who raises the dead so that no matter what happens in every aspect, in every area of life, we are serving God by giving love. The good news, you guys, though, is that we don't have to cultivate this attitude on our own. Rather, we join with God in this work. All right? This isn't something that we put together. We're going to see this here in a few minutes. We don't put this together all on our own. But nonetheless, this is the picture we're called to. Now, I want to be clear. This is not about earning salvation. All right, this is about living out the salvation that has been granted to us, that has been given to us. Uh, that salvation that we're, that ultimate salvation that we're waiting for, we, get, we begin to practice it here and now by living as Jesus lived. Have this attitude, have this mindset, cultivate the mindset of Jesus, the Messiah. Number two, cultivate the attitude of Jesus through obedience together. We need to cultivate the attitude of Jesus through obedience together. You know, after this beautiful picture Paul paints of the God who offers salvation to the world by humiliating himself, by going to these great extravagant lengths to love the world, he returns to his main concern that the Philippians live their citizenship in a manner worthy of the good news, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, he comes right back to, to his dear friends, to this intimate relationship he has with them, to this caring that he has for these people. Remember, he's. this is the tone that he set from the very beginning. They are his dear, dear friends, and that's how he's addressing them. And the picture of Jesus Paul has just painted serves the main thing he is concerned with for these dear friends and the instructions that follow. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, as you have been participating in the gospel from the first day until now, as you have submitted willingly to the will of God, 
voluntarily. As you've joined yourself with God, he says, not only in my presence, in other words, when we've been together, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's telling the community together. Lots of times I think uh, we, we look at this working out our salvation in fear and trembling as something that we have that, that is very personal and individually based. But you've got to remember, Paul is addressing the entire community. He's telling them to work this out together in their life together. Get your house in order, in other words, is what he says. Live out the implications of the gospel. Live out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all the rest in obedience together. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He says, in other words, as you're partnering together in this, partner with God, allowing him to empower you for the work. It's not all up to them and it's not all up to us to accomplish this on our own. God is in at work in you as you are working together, is what Paul says. Making you able to want and to act on God's good purpose, God's will for God's pleasure. And God's happy to do this. That's the other thing about this. God is pleased to do this. He wants to do this. You know, often we think of obedience as acquiescence to something distasteful, don't we? I remember a time I had to clean a bunch of sick. It was nasty. Out of a sink, somebody had, had you know, done their business in. And then it got left there overnight. So it was kind of marinating in this this sink. And I won't go into it, but let's just say I was dry heaving the whole time. It was, I, I was getting pretty close to tossing my own cookies. Oftentimes we think of obedience in those kinds of terms as something distasteful that we have to do, that we don't want to do, but that we just, we got to buck up. We've got to do our duty and we've got to do whatever it is that we have to do. And though, you, you know, we need to understand obedience does include doing things we don't necessarily want to do. We need to understand that the overall idea of obedience is focused on the person who has chosen to join God's program and to live out God's will out of love. This is somebody who has been changed, who has been transformed by God's love so that they actually want to get in on God's works and to do what God says to do as God's child, as a group of God's children. So the idea of obedience here isn't about merely accomplishing things that we don't want to do, though we may have to do some of that. The overall picture is that coming out of joy and love. I want to do this because I'm part of God's family. I'm part of being God's uh, kids. This past week, my daughter joined my wife in some housework. Um, Jessica needed to do some some house stuff, and and so my daughter wanted to join in with with uh, with Jess. And, and so my, my wife got my daughter involved in doing some of the cleaning. And as a matter of fact, uh, my wife reported to me that, that Abigail got mad 
when, when my wife came in and was trying to help and show her how to do things. No, mom, I've got it. I've got it. Let me do it. I've, that's my job. I'm going to do this. So she was excited to do this, to help clean some bathrooms, to, to, to help do some baking of cornbread and some dishes. And she loved it because she was doing it out of love. She was joining her mom, all right, in, in mom's project. That's the picture of obedience. The obedience Paul calls the Philippians and us to is to walk and live in the very obedience of Jesus that, that reflects his obedience that's done out of joy and love. And it's expressed and lived out through the community together living out of the love of God. Putting his will toward each other into action and then taking that out into the wider community in the power that God provides. Coming together and being completely under the lordship of Jesus Christ and devoted to him out of love and joy. Cultivate the mind of Jesus through obedience together. Join together in doing this, Paul says. That's the second thing. The third thing I see in this passage Cultivate the mind of Jesus through unity. Cultivate the mind of Jesus through unity. Here's what Paul says about this. This is Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16. He says, do nothing out of grumbling or arguing. It's interesting here. Paul is, is actually alluding to Israel in the wilderness and all of their trials and all of their tribulations and how they didn't live up to being God's people because they often engaged in grumbling and, and arguing with their leaders and with one another. Instead, Paul says, don't do that. Don't engage in, in the, the conceit and the selfishness that results in these things. Rather, live in selfless humility for each other. He goes on, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. In other words, your life together will shine through the brokenness and the darkness in this world. And your witness to and of Jesus will be bright and clear. No matter what happens, no matter what you face, no matter what trials, no matter what obstacles, no matter what good things, no matter what bad things, in all of it, your witness to and of Jesus is going to shine out bright. This action of unity in love will make their proclamation of the gospel ring true in Philippi. You guys, if we are unified, if we, if we cultivate the mind of Jesus Christ, his attitudes, his actions through unity together, then our witness to Puyallup, to South Hill, to Pierce County is going to shine through. Here's the point. We're not serving ourselves. Our obedience isn't for us to gain something to spend on ourselves. Rather, it is sourced in our love and allegiance to God and his plan. 
We're serving something and someone far bigger than ourselves. And the end result is that we, like Jesus, will be exalted in the end. We will be vindicated without having to grasp and grapple for that vindication all on our own. We're not going to have to prop ourselves up because God is going to do that in due course. There is no need, you guys, for the vain conceit and and the selfishness that Paul has been telling the, the Philippians to turn away from. There's no need for that in our lives. Paul wraps up this section in verses 16 through 18 by stating that his joy will actually be made complete in the present, even though he's in prison right now. It's going to be, his joy is going to be made complete through their living the gospel and its implications in the present, which includes suffering as sacrifice directed toward God in worship. So I've got a question. Who do you need to live this with and for right now? How can you join with others in self-sacrificial unity out of love for God and for them, living out this picture of Jesus, entering into this program of self-humiliation and allowing God to take care of everything else? One thing you can do is to join us this coming Wednesday night, uh, the 27th at 7 p.m. Uh, we'll get There should be a Zoom link coming out for you. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna have a Zoom meeting where it's gonna be prayer for an hour, seven to eight p.m. It's gonna be guided and directed prayer and encouragement. But I encourage you join with us. This is part of how we can begin to to take time for others by praying for them and with them, with each other. Join us in that. Another thing you can do is to serve your family. What can you do for those directly around you right now? And whether you've got your family with you or you don't, maybe you can step out of your house and as it's safe, go to your neighbors literally on your right and your left and say, hey, how are you doing? What can I do for you? How, how can I serve you? Maybe it's mowing a lawn. Maybe it's bringing a meal. Maybe it's taking care of kids. I don't know what it is. But as it's safe for you in whatever situation you're at right now, wherever you're in right now, reach out to those around you. How can you serve them? How can you love them with the love that you've been loved with? You guys, let's have this same attitude that Jesus himself had by choosing to lay ourselves and our agendas down for the sake of God and those around us. Because of love. That's the bottom line. Love first. Love God and love others first. Big challenge today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you that you love us beyond measure, that you love us because that's who you are, that you haven't loved us because we've accomplished anything or because we've measured up to anything, but you've loved us because that is who you are and because we are your creation. So God, we receive your love. 
That's important for us to do, God. We, we need to receive your love. Help us to do that every day, in every way, in every situation that we find ourselves in as we're dealing with family or with, with people we're driving down the road with or at work with or in the grocery store with, wherever, whatever we're doing. Help us to receive your love. Not just so that we can feel good about ourselves, but so that we can love others out of that love. Transform us by this love, God. Transform us by your love so that we can become more like you as individuals, but, but also as, as we do that individually, we come together corporately and we live your life out in South Hill in Puyallup, Washington, in 2020, in the middle of a pandemic, so that no matter what happens, our testimony of Jesus and, and to the community around us shines bright. Work in us, God, so that we will want this and that we will act in it. We invite you to do that. Maybe you're listening or you're watching and you haven't begun your life as a Christ follower, but you like this, this love that this God has to give away. I'm going to say a prayer. Just make it your own right where you're at. Father, I want your love. I want that in me right where I'm at. In the middle of my mess and, and struggle and trials and in the middle of my family or my loneliness or wherever I'm at. God, just, I, I need your love. Transform me into your child. Help me to live your love as your child. Make me yours so that I can give you away to those around me. Father, for anyone who made that prayer there, as I ask that you would invade them with your spirit. Not that they would every day live out a checklist of lists of, of, of do's and don'ts and, and all of that, but God, that deep down inside them, you would transform them so that they are gripped by your grace, by your spirit, and living out your love. Give them that grace right now, I pray. God, I, again, I pray that grace for all of us who are watching or listening right now. Transform us, God. We want to live as your kids, but we need you to make this happen as we commit ourselves in love and joy to your program. Do your work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you guys, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Again, just a reminder, we've got our prayer meeting coming up Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Look for the Zoom link. That's going to be emailed. I think we will probably even have it on our uh, Facebook page. Join us for that. It's going to be good. It's going to be really good. It'll be a really good opportunity for us to serve one another in prayer and love on each other and to be encouraged. All right, well, you guys have a great rest of your day and go in the grace 
of Jesus Christ and the love of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I love you guys. Talk to you later.